So we've been having the conversation about discipleship and we wrap it up here today, as Pastor John said, on the way of the apprentice. And I'm just going to be super practical today. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the reality that uh, disciples make disciples. And so a huge portion of what it is to be a disciple is to make other disciples or other followers of Jesus. And that kind of begs the question then, how do I disciple someone? It begs the question, who should I be discipling? And I just want to take some time and kind of answer those questions because we're looking to Jesus for how we are to go about our day-to-day as apprentices to Jesus ourselves. Um, How do I think like Jesus, act like Jesus, have conversations like Jesus, process things like Jesus? And, And then even still, when it comes to discipleship and this huge call on my life and your life to go make disciples, I'll ask the question again, who are you discipling? Or maybe in this particular stage of life, who's discipling you? Every single one of us should be able to answer those questions. But then when it comes to kind of a roadmap or a manual or some sort of instruction on how would I go about discipling somebody in the first place? Where do I begin? How does it start? What does it look like? Who should I be doing it with? Same thing, we go to Jesus for the answer. And there's an interesting, intimate, important moment that Jesus has in John chapter 13 and John chapter 14 that I want to take a look at today because we can look at what is a familiar moment to us, but what I would love to do is just kind of draw your attention, not so much to the particulars of what's going on uh, that you're all familiar with here, but rather to how Jesus is discipling his guys during this intimate moment. What is it that you and I can learn in this intimate relational moment with his disciples that you and I could put to practice when we disciple people around us? John's gospel is arranged kind of interestingly. There's an opening that sets up Jesus as the incarnate God, God in the flesh. And then the closing of the gospel of John You get the crucifixion and the resurrection and some parting words, the reinstating of of Peter. But in the middle, there's two major portions of the book of John. The first, John details the public ministry of Jesus. The public ministry. Jesus did a whole bunch of things with crowds and and, and in front of a whole bunch of other people. There were uh, words and works and wonders of Jesus that really established, they reinforced what John said at the beginning, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And his public ministry was testimony to that. But then in John chapter 13 through 17, the, uh, the second major part of gospel of John is that it's the private ministry of Jesus. And by contrast, that private ministry had mostly to do with Jesus and his disciples. And if you look through all the gospels and you did the math and you kind of did all the algorithms on it, you'd find that actually Jesus spent most of his ministry time with 12, with his disciples. That most of his ministry time was private and not very public. He was actually very sensitive to public ministry because it was often getting in the way of a bigger picture of what he was there to accomplish, 
with regard to going to the cross. And, and there was a timing issue that he was sensitive of. But both were very important. What I want to take a look at today is the start of John's account of this private ministry that Jesus had with his disciples. John chapter 13. And and we'll look at a couple of verses. I'll tell a little bit of the story and, and, and just be paying particular attention for how the master discipler, Jesus, what he was doing the manner that he exuded in interacting with his disciples, a a relational culture that he created that fostered this discipleship between he and his guys and what he called them to do. Uh, John chapter 13, look right at verse one and two. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that. Verse two, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. They've gathered in the upper room and they're gonna celebrate a very special Passover meal. And I love that this private ministry gets ushered in with the line, Jesus loved his own that were in the world and he's going to love them right to the very end. That is so huge because the true marker and the true motivator of any movement of discipleship is always love. It's love for the people that you're investing in. It's love for Jesus. And this act of love was going to express itself. And so Jesus gets up and they've reclined around a table. They've enjoyed a good meal together. And that in and of itself is kind of interesting that that Jesus hung out enough to have meals with those that he was discipling. Now, this is a special Passover meal. But we find a number of places in scriptures that they hung out consistently. The fact that this is taking place around a meal takes discipleship away from only a classroom and moves it into the context of relationship. It doesn't mean that the classrooms are bad or instruction is bad. Jesus is going to instruct an awful lot, but the primary method that Jesus used in discipling others was through relationship, in the con- around meals, while they were walking somewhere, during a major event where they would turn and have conversations, and this was no different. There was a little break in the meal And Jesus wanted to express his full love to them. And so he gets up off the floor where his disciples are reclined around the table. And he takes off his outer garment and he fills a basin with water. And then he drops down to his knees. And he begins one by one by one to wash his disciples' feet. And we've talked about this before. You've heard countless sermons about this before. You've read this before. But Jesus, in his humility, in his love, he hits his knees and he begins to wash their feet, which would have been so disgusting. This is first century. Not every road is paved. They're not wearing closed-toed shoes. 
and they're guys. Guy feet are disgusting. I don't know what they even used for toenail clippers, but I can just imagine how humbling it would be for Jesus, who really was their Lord, to sit down, hit his knees, and begin to display his love and service for them by washing their feet. He scrubbed their feet. And they don't particularly understand it at the time. They're a little stunned. It feels inappropriate. Peter, outspoken Peter, speaks up about it. He asks a question, are you gonna ask my, wash my feet? And Jesus connects dots for Peter and says, yes, unless I clean you, you've got no part with me. He finishes washing the disciples' feet. He wraps his garments back on himself. And then he leads them into a deeper conversation. John records that he was uh, troubled in spirit and began to communicate to his disciples One of you is gonna betray me. I know that it's coming. And disciples began to turn to each other. Which one is he talking about? I don't know, you ask him. No, you ask him. Finally, one of them leans forward and asks. It happens to be John, the one that's giving us this account, and he says that he was leaned back against the bosom of Jesus, reclining next to Jesus. Can you imagine that intimacy with Jesus? takes his head off of Jesus' chest and asks him who you're talking about. Again, Jesus responds. Jesus connects dots. Jesus explains what in the world is going on. They have a little bit more of the conversation and then Jesus has to speak up to Judas and have a hard conversation and say, Judas, you need to go do what you're gonna go do. And Judas leaves to go betray Jesus. And then Jesus turns back to the remaining 11 and continues the tough conversation and says, you know what, it's not just Judas that's gonna be the issue. Peter, you're gonna have a problem here too. You're gonna bobble the ball here in just a moment. And then he kind of cuts through all the tension and you can almost feel a pause. And Jesus takes a deep breath and he says, Here's a new command for you. Love one another. Everybody will be able to tell that you're one of my disciples if you just love one another. And if I were them, I think that would have been so refreshing because all the thoughts of oh, the future tension for Jesus and my potential future failure and I- I'm trying to figure out what's going on. It was such a nice meal and thanks for the clean feet, Jesus. And now all of a sudden, what in the world? And now I'm all tense and Jesus in a way only he can pierces right through with, hey, don't forget. Why I washed your feet is because I have tremendous love for you. Now, I already called you to go wash other people's feet. I'm saying it a different way now by saying, here's the real command you need to keep in mind. Love other people. That will be the true marker of disciples of Jesus Christ. The love that you have for one another. The love that you have for Jesus. That'll be evidence of it. Now, they've got that in their head, and 
yet they've also got everything he's just been saying in their head. And now Jesus does something that I think every great discipler does. They balance good instruction and conversation with comfort. And in John chapter 14, if you skip down, John chapter 14, verse one, can you imagine how powerful these words of comfort would have been from their discipler, their Lord, Jesus the Christ. John chapter 14, verses one through four. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, it's an unsettling few minutes talking about betrayal and what the future is going to hold. So Jesus brings some comfort. Jesus focuses their attention on what's really, really important. Good disciples do that. John 14, verse five, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And so here, Thomas asks an honest question. I don't get it. And I can guarantee you that you've had those moments in your own relationship with Jesus. Your own moments of opening the word and going, I don't get it. I can guarantee you that you're going to be discipling people and they're going to come to you and they'll go, I don't get it. I don't understand. And you can help them understand the way that Jesus did. Jesus turns and reveals some scriptures to them, reveals the truth to them, connects some biblical dots from them, spiritual dots for them. Good disciples do that. But ultimately what I love here is Jesus just draws the focus of everything, including their hope, to himself. I am the way. It's not a method, it's a person. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. When you and I get lost in how we're to disciple people around us, come back to the anchor of the hope that you and I have, it's in Jesus Christ himself. It's in understanding who he is and what he's done for us that he is the one that's made a way for us to be in relationship with God. He is the one that's given us a brand new identity. And whenever you lose your way, you come back to who Jesus is. He's the hope, he's the anchor. He's where we fix our eyes. Now what an intimate little moment, little conversation they had and it continues on. He actually reveals a whole lot more to them. 
But what's beautiful to me are some of the themes that you can pick up about how to disciple other people that you will be discipling if you're not already. And this, again, we're going to be intentional about. We're going to be asking ourselves the questions, who am I discipling? Who's discipling me? And then when it comes to how to, here's a handful of things. Guys, they're not rocket science. Pull them straight from this passage. But it it just helps. It it helps just kind of dissolve kind of the mystery of, I don't know how to disciple someone. And uh, I don't know what class to join. And uh, I don't know what to say. Okay, yeah, forget it. Don't worry about it. Discipleship is, is really more like this apprenticeship in the context of relationship that combines instruction and comfort. It combines walking people through the word of God in relationship. And so here's some simple things if you want to jot anything down that I see right here in this moment between Jesus and his disciples in private ministry that I think you and I can model when we disciple other people. How to disciple others first, love them. Love them. I think that's huge. If your heart is moved with compassion and love to come alongside someone else, that's always the best starting point. Rather than, oh, here's what I can do for you. Oh, you gotta be in a relationship with me. Rather, motivated out of humility and love and service to come in to discipleship, what a great start. Love them the way that Jesus loved his own who were in the world. Next, spend time with them. It may be in the context of a Bible study. It may be in the context of a class. It may be in the context of a bigger gathering. But more often than not, some of the best discipleship that you're ever going to have is when you're on a walk together or on a phone call together or around coffee or a meal together. When you're having actual relationship in conversation with people. So love them. Spend time with them. Third, Model the Christian life for them. Model the Christian life. Did you know that more is caught than taught? At a youth pastor, they would tell me that all the time. It's not to minimize teaching because teaching is very, very important and it's, it's, it's crucial. But the point is, is that people are picking up on things, the nonverbal things, the actions, the lack of action, as well as what you teach, and how important it is for us in discipling others to model the Christian life, to be a living example. It's why Jesus got up and washed his disciples' feet first and then called them to go do the same. He said, I know it's hard just to get it when it's theory and you're taught it, so let me do it to you, and then now you go do it. You go do what you've seen in me. Next, answer their questions and ask them questions. Jesus had some sort of demeanor or manner or way about him where he'd created some safe haven in the context of relationship that his guys were free to ask any questions that they wanted to. Now, in Jewish culture, that's a very common and appropriate sort of thing that you challenge rabbis. 
that you ask them questions. You, you say, I don't know if I agree with that. They explain what you mean. Jesus is open to that. He loves that. And as disciples, we should be open to that too. You, you come with your questions. And like we've been saying, I, I may not know the answer to your question because I'm not Jesus, I'm just some guy. But I don't know, but I'll get back to you next week with the answer is always okay. Let them ask questions. Ask them questions. It's not just one way, but you ask a question, uh, elicit some dialogue and response back. Jesus was so good at that. We've already addressed it. The next one, send them out to do the ministry. There's nothing that is going to really uh, fast forward someone's journey of growth and discipleship than when you call them out to go do some ministry. Not just be the Dead Sea that just intakes, 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 intakes all the time, but rather you pour out. I got thrown into the work of the ministry six months after I was a follower of Jesus for real. Thrown into the fire of junior high Sunday school when I was only 15. I didn't have any clue what I was doing, but you know what? It made me grow real fast. When you get thrown into the deep end, you learn to swim really quickly. But I think there's a real danger in contemporary American Christianity where so many of us are kind of playing around in the shallow end in the kiddie pool for so long, we don't know ourselves how to swim, so no wonder we have trouble teaching someone else how to swim. And so for us to begin to uh, dive in and figure this out, learn as we're going, that's what the disciples had the blessing of. They got to put it into practice. They got to make some mistakes. They got to be corrected and have Jesus come along and instruct them and connect dots. Be open and honest and transparent with them is the next one. Good disciples like Jesus, you're open. Do you believe that when Jesus, when the scripture in John says that Jesus was very troubled in spirit, do you think that his guys could tell? I bet they could. I bet there was an open and honesty with Jesus, not just in the words that he spoke, but with his very heart that made it a safe place. We gotta bring the truth. We gotta say the hard things. We gotta connect the dots. Even explain some of the tough truths of scripture. But at the same time, also be good as disciples at what Jesus was good at. In the next one, comfort them. If we're only blasting people with the truth and never bringing comfort, then good luck with that. And if all we do is bring comfort and grace and never share the truth, good luck with that too. But Jesus being full of grace and truth was a master at speaking the truth, but doing it in love. Speaking the truth, but with gentleness and respect. Bringing comfort, even in the midst of having to have difficult conversations. The next one, let them love you. Want to know how to disciple others? Let them love you. You know, John leaned back against the chest of Jesus. I mean, that was just Jesus opening himself up. And as disciples, I think we're at our best when 
it's a mutual loving relationship and we're open with each other. Next, we gotta connect biblical dots for them. Jesus was so good at revealing mysteries of scripture or explaining things that they didn't get when he first spoke up. And we can get good at that too. And then lastly, when we disciple other peoples, we gotta make Jesus the focal point of our time together. Jesus the focal point, not ourself. If we get into this for selfish reasons, or because we wanna make ourselves look smart or important or valuable or whatever, again, we've missed Jesus' real heart for his disciples. And again, as kind of an anchor to pull us back when we lose our way, when we're discipling others, just come back to Jesus. Okay, I forget, I don't really know how to answer this crazy Old Testament passage question. I'll get back to that next week. Let's, let's come back to Jesus this week. How's your understanding of who he is, what he's done for you? I love that Jesus took the time with these 12. When you start to ask yourself the question, who? Who should I be discipling? I don't know if we're gonna get it a whole lot better than Jesus. And Jesus, it's not a rule, but Jesus gave us quite an example. He invested in 12 guys. Who are your 12? And I get that that could be a bit of a daunting thing to start with, who are your 12? But luckily, Jesus invested uh, some special time in three of the 12, Peter, James, and John. And they were his inner circle. So maybe start there, who are your three? Three. If you got family members that need discipling, go ahead and start with them. Or maybe you look to uh, you know, different sorts of categories of people that God has placed around you strategically for a reason. There's a pastor that wrote a book called Not My Church and he categorizes four different groups of people that you might just have on your radar. And I just share it briefly, just to look at the people around you in your life and you go, hmm, maybe one of my three or some of my 12 are gonna come from these categories. Uh, the first category that he describes on who to disciple are pre-Christians. People who have not put their faith in Jesus yet. And maybe he'd use you to disciple them into a relationship with Jesus, a saving relationship. You know you are the best means of evangelism that the world has to offer, you personally. And so what are some people who don't know Jesus around you? If you got one or two, maybe you got a whole bunch, pick one, pick two. If it's not pre-Christians, then maybe it's uh, prodigals. And prodigals could be believers that had a relationship with Jesus, they've put their faith and trust in him, but this last season, whether it's months or years, they've walked away. And they need the love of Jesus just as much as anybody. And so maybe you survey the landscape of your life and you go, gosh, I've got one or two people that I know if you really pressed them, believe that Jesus is who he said he was, got a relationship with him, but they're not walking with him. Now, maybe God can use you in ministering to them. If it's not pre-Christian, if it's not prodigal, then maybe it's what this pastor calls purposefuls. 
And it's those that have a relationship with Jesus and they're hungry and they want to grow and they're, they just don't have anybody to invest. They don't have anybody to pour in. Well, they might have you. And if they're like a dry sponge, then you can be a big old pitcher of the living water of Jesus to pour all over them. And the fourth one that he has you consider is a group called potentials. Those who seem to be showing up on the front row of your life for whatever reason more than they have been before. Because maybe it's not a coincidence that you've crossed paths with this person or keep crossing paths or they've brought, that God's brought this person into your life. Maybe it is so that you would disciple them in the same manner and the way of Jesus. And can you imagine, can you imagine what the church would look like when every single one here and all the churches in all of America, they knew their three, they knew their 12, and following the same manner of Jesus, they just invested there. The ripple effects would be world changing. And he's given us that as a mission and a privilege, as apprentices, disciples of his. We need to have a little bit of a family conversation this morning here in just a moment. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll spend a little bit more, more time, okay? So let's pray. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're not a disciple of his, you're not a follower of his. You've just joined in today or maybe you've joined in the last several weeks, whether it's here in person or a part of our online family. And today's the day where you're gonna say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God and I'm gonna turn from my sin, I'm gonna reach out and trust that you're taking my hand. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death what we earn for our sin or deserve for it is death or separation from God. Romans 5, 8 says, but the gift of God, God demonstrated his love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So even though we're all broken and sinful and that has broken our relationship with God, Jesus did something about it. He stepped in to take the punishment for sin that we deserved and he went to the cross, but he didn't stop there. He conquered sin and conquered death when he rose from the grave. And Romans 10, nine says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You just confess with your mouth, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to sit in the driver's seat. Please forgive me of my sin today I am yours and I'm choosing today to follow you. If that is you here today, you have a conversation with Jesus about that right now. In your own words, he loves the sincerity of your own words in your own heart. You just talk to him. Confess that you need him.
turn your back on Sam and turn and face him and you'll see these amazingly compassionate eyes looking at you. And he's ready to pull you in and start a journey of growing you up who you were meant to be all along. If you're here in the room today and that's you, you're taking that step of faith first time in a relationship with Jesus and you've just talked to him about that. Would you just slip a hand up really quick right where you are? I'd love just to be praying for you. Awesome. Thank you. Cool. Awesome. You guys can put your hands down. And so Heavenly Father, we just give you all the praise and the glory for the huge party that's going on right now in heaven for this handful Lord God, um, wrap yourselves around each and every one of us. Give us courage and strength as we walk with you. Give us courage and strength as we try to disciple the people around us. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if you're one of those that raised your hand today, come tell somebody up front afterward. We'd love just to pray with you. But Lord, thank you for loving us so much. It's in your name we pray.